Hello and welcome to Coffee with Evergreen on the Evergreen Exchange. I'm Heidi Hermanos, the Oregon Regional Director for Evergreen Golf Cal. We are coming back to our three-part series on moments of financial transition. In this episode, we speak to Sarah Winter and Stefan Wolf from the law firm Gewurz Menashe to discuss estate planning and helping your family prepare for your legacy. As always, we hope you enjoy the listen. Hey listener, this episode requires an extra disclosure. All views and opinions expressed by any guest of the podcast are solely the individual's views and do not necessarily reflect the views of Evergreen Golf Cal. Evergreen Golf Cal's clients may hold securities mentioned in this podcast at any given time. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or be considered investment advice. Enjoy the episode. So today we have Sarah Winter and Stefan Wolf with us today. They're both estate planning attorneys with Gewurz Menashe. Thank you both for being with us. Thanks, Heidi. We're happy to be here. Yeah, that's great. So one of the things that I always wonder is how did people find their way into their chosen profession? And I think that's particularly true with attorneys because there's just so many different routes you can take in law. So how did you decide that estate planning would be your happy place for your career? Sure, I can start off. I was really interested in estate and tax planning just as I started navigating my law school courses. They have so many different areas of the law that you explore and they're all really interesting, but this one just really resonated with me because I find the area fascinating. You know, you're helping clients put these puzzle pieces together. And then you're also really helping families in a meaningful way. So I really liked that for two reasons, the interesting work, you know, but also being able to help families putting estate plans together helps people find, you know, comfort, reassurance, making sure that their loved ones are taken care of. It's just a really engaging, involved process. I also really love the fact that we have long-term relationships with our clients. So in some other fields, you're representing clients on a single matter and you send them on their way when you're done helping them. But this is something that has a lot of longevity and that just really appealed to me. Yeah, that's great. And something that I can certainly identify with as well, that it's really for me all about relationships. And so I've found this side of the industry working for a firm like Evergreen a perfect fit because I do get to invest in long-term relationships with my clients. So that's awesome. Another question, I think when we're thinking about estate planning, uh, it's not necessarily the most fun for folks. I do a lot of life planning with people where we're talking through, let's plan for different types of goals that you have. Let's make sure we're planning on gifts and big experiences. But can you talk about why estate planning is so important and and really unpacking this idea that a lot of families have a primary person in the household who's responsible for a lot of the financial matters. How can they make sure that there's a smooth transition for their family if something were to happen to them? Yeah, I can uh, I can touch on some of that. I mean, it is uh, a unique practice area, a topic, and one that not a lot of people, you know, would choose to talk about for fun in death and taxes and incapacity and all that kind of stuff. But it is uh, incredibly important piece of the puzzle to to anybody's kind of financial well-being to make sure that these big issues are taken care of. And we do run into that quite a bit where you've got uh, somebody in the household who manages the financial side of things and making sure that if if that 
element of the family dynamic, something happens to that person and they're no longer around, can leave, you know, if it's a spouse, can leave the surviving spouse in a tough spot trying to put the put the puzzle pieces together, but not knowing where what any of them look like, where they are. So part of what we do is and I think the answer to that is just education, right, is getting the getting the other uh, relevant members of the family up to speed on at least big picture. What do the assets look like? Where are they? How are they titled? Uh, how are bills paid? That kind of thing. And we try and do that with clients as at least give them a 30,000 foot view of, OK, this is what you have. This is how it's titled as far as assets go so that there's at least a starting point. If, if for somebody who isn't involved in the day to day, they they can at least say, OK, I, I at least know which institutions to contact to figure this stuff out. And I think another big piece of it in today's world is making sure that access to information is available. So, you know, with online uh, so much being done uh, through through online services, making sure that somebody has access to those usernames and passwords in a in a safe and secure way, so they're they're not open to to identity fraud or theft or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Just touching on that a, a little more, you know, what I encourage a lot of clients to do is create a list of, you know, general assets. So what do you own in terms of your real estate, your bank accounts, where is all of that located, but also a list of digital assets. And so that goes back to what Stefan was saying is, you know, if you're paying your bills online, you know, you need people to be able to access things. You have other accounts that need to be shut down because uh, say, you know, you're thinking about a Facebook account or, you know, something social media wise, those are sometimes very hard to terminate after someone has passed away because of user agreements. But if you have family aware of what those things are, how to access them, they can very easily go ahead and get in there, wrap things up as needed. And it, again, it gives them just a general overview. And there are very safe ways to store that information or let your family members know where you have that without necessarily having to provide it to them right away. That's a really good point because I think a lot of people want to make sure that those things are taken care of, but they're not wanting to give up on their privacy or control while they're still alive and still able to handle their affairs. Can you touch on in this making it easier for your family, what are some of the main tools that you use to pass assets smoothly on to heirs? Sure. Just, you know, what we like to educate clients on is having a comprehensive estate plan in place. And I had a meeting with clients this morning, and this is a topic I often talk to clients about, is a lot of the planning we are doing for you. We are making sure we're fulfilling your wishes and we have things structured the way you want them. But we're also planning for as we're planning for your loved ones and trying to make the transition process easier because they're going to be going through what is undoubtedly the most difficult time in their life, losing a family member. And if they don't know where anything is or how to take care of things, it makes things even worse. So setting up a comprehensive plan where we have lifetime planning, so you have a power of attorney in place to make sure financial matters are uh, managed if you're disabled or incapacitated, an advanced directive for healthcare to make sure people are taking care of your medical decisions if something happens to you, and then dealing with the property when you pass away by putting either a will or a revocable trust into place. Those are the, the two most common mechanisms to just of property, just having that well-structured, developing a good relationship with not only financial advisors like you, Heidi, 
but also an attorney and letting your family members know, even if you're not disclosing the details of your estate plan and documents that you have an attorney, if there is an emergency, something happens, that these are the people, this is your team that they can reach out to. I think that that really provides a, a lot of comfort, protection, and makes things a lot smoother for the, the family members that are left behind. Yeah, that's a really good point because it's just even the mechanics of something happens to you, how the mechanics of moving those assets to your family in a way that makes it as easy as possible for them when they're grieving. They're going through a lot. The last thing they want to do is have an overly complicated, I mean, it's, it's going to be challenging either way, but making it as easy as possible for those assets to move to the proper people after you're gone. So as an extension of that, I mean, here's you know, tangible assets. But another thing that I often think about with estate planning, as well as with life planning, is individual values. Typically, you know, clients have spent their lifetime building up these assets. How do you incorporate personal values into the estate planning process? I think it's a uh, really good question. And it's obviously going to be a little, you know, particular for the client and what those values are. Two areas that come to my mind on how you can incorporate that in is uh, if the client has charitable intentions, building in uh, charitable gifts at death, that kind of thing, uh, specific causes, getting, do you want to make sure that kids are involved in that process uh, and in making those decisions uh, to, you know, what charities get money and get assets and, and how and that kind of thing. Uh, another big piece of it can be sending assets down to kids. So if you if you have kids and you pass away and those assets go to your children, leaving those assets to them in trust with some with some guardrails and some guidelines on how the money can be used and accessed over time. So some, you know, some common uh, values people want is they want to make sure the kids have uh, get the benefit of the money, but they don't want to just have them live off of it and rely on it and not have to work or make their own way. So you can build in uh, provisions that say, okay, kids, you get access to this money, but you're going to get 50 cents for every dollar you earn. So it's like a private bonus. So you're encouraging earned income. You're saying you get access to this, but you're going to have to work and do something for it. So it's not just handed to you, you know, so encouraging and, and, and um, promoting uh, work and a productive, uh, a productive life. And you can do that with any number of other other values and issues that are important to the client. So there's there's ways to kind of align those incentives and those values with with how beneficiaries receive and have access to the assets. I think that this brings up a really important topic to talk about, which is an, if you do establish a trust for your family, making sure that you have the right person listed as trustee, because you would have to make it, you know, a dictionary length trust to have every contingency written in the trust, right? So making sure that you have a trustee that understands not only what you have in the trust, but the intent behind it. So I think of, um, I'm going to ask the question about using third-party trustees here in a moment, but the example that I think of is I used to work for a trust bank and I 
sat right next to the trust officer who was actually serving as a third party trustee on trusts that folks had drafted. And they had those provisions in there where, you know, hey, while you're in college, if you need a car, the trust will pay for you to have a car for you to get to school. But one of the beneficiaries of a trust called and said, yes, I want to buy a car. I've got this Porsche picked out. And the trustee <laughs> said, sorry, you can't buy the Porsche, but you can get a Corolla. It's got great gas mileage. It's super reliable. So making sure that you have the right people in place that will make sure that it's not just, hey, you get to have a car, but the spirit of what you intended, I think is crucial. So for some folks, they have someone in their family that is able to serve in that capacity and who will do a really great job. Sometimes folks decide, you know what, I don't really want to have a family member as the trustee. Sometimes, that you know, just telling the the child or, you know, the adult child that they can't have the Porsche makes Thanksgiving dinners a little bit more awkward if it's a family member listed as the trustee. So that's usually where I think of as an example of naming a third party trustee on a trust. But can you speak a little bit to, first of all, you know, a definition of what a third party trustee is? I gave the example of I worked for a trust bank and we had trustees serving in that capacity. But can you give us just a little bit of a landscape of what that sort of service looks like? when folks would use a third party trustee and some things to think about pros and cons, as well as just some tips on whether or not that would be a good fit. Absolutely. And I love your example of the Porsche and the Corolla, because that is also the example I use. I use the Porsche and the a to Toyota when we're talking about those guardrails and distributions and things being made within reason. And I just want to touch back on the, the individual trustees before jumping into third party trustees, uh, financial institutions, because I think they're really related the idea of family conflicts. So, you know, you could have family members that are really great fits to manage finances. They're really astute. They're really capable. But one thing to think about with family dynamics is the, the challenges that that would put people in against each other, potentially, you know, I sometimes have clients that have uh, children that are very spaced out in age. So they may have a, a much older child and a much younger child and say, well, I could put the oldest in charge of trust for the youngest until they, they grow up. That creates a, a huge potential for conflict. Yeah, that's tough. Links. And so th those are things that we ask clients to consider. And while they may have family members that would be a good fit for those positions, thinking about family dynamics, how those people are going to interact together and uh, just those individual relationships aside from just general competence of the, the person that you're naming. So if you don't have someone in the family that would be a good fit or we have a potential where we may have a dispute between a trustee and a beneficiary, it is a good idea to consider a, you know, third party independent trustee. And, you know, some people think, well, if I'm hiring, you know, a corporate trustee, so this would be, you know, a trust company or a financial institution, a bank that has a trust department that, you know, I need to have a lot of money. Uh, you don't. So you can use them if you have a, a case, you know, where you need to have that independent party involved. 
and they can be a great resource because they will be, you know, relatively conservative. You know, they won't give that child that Porsche, but they will respect the parameters and the distribution standards. So it won't be so restrictive that a child couldn't get access for college education or buying a first home, things, things like that. So I think that it can provide still a great deal of flexibility while creating some distance and keeping some of those family relationships intact. So I think that that's one of the, the pros of having them in place. And then, you know, cons, you know, the, the biggest, you know, con that I see is there are fees associated with using a professional trustee. Uh, those are determined by the financial institution and they can be really reasonable. So, you know, my recommendation to clients when they're investigating this is uh, talk to a few different trust companies, talk to, you know, your attorneys and advisors, get recommendations for groups that we've worked with and that we think are really fair in terms of fees and provide excellent client service. And on that note, uh, I'll let Stefan jump in with, you know, some additional thoughts if he has any but the, the other thing i encourage clients to do is look locally look for smaller institutions you don't want to choose a large you know mega bank national institutions because they're not going to have those smaller dedicated trust departments where you know, I'm just using the example of a child. Again, your child has a dedicated trust officer. That's someone who's probably going to be with the company for a long time. They're going to have that relationship. If you're dealing with a big bank, you're going to be dealing with an 800 number. You don't know who you're going to be dealing with. It may be difficult to get your distributions. And so that's where it presents challenges and where some people tend to have a negative viewpoint of those uh, third-party trustees. So I'll let Stefan jump in because this is a, a topic we can talk about probably quite a bit and don't want to hog all the camera time. Something that Sarah touched on I want to highlight is the there's a number of different kinds of professional trustees. So you could go, you know, a one one man, one woman shop where they are just uh, on their own as a as a professional trustee all the way to the other end of the spectrum of a massive national international bank uh, trust company that has a trust company branch and then anything in between. So there's a lot of variety as far as who can who can serve as a as a professional trustee. Uh, so there's a lot of options there. Um, the other thing I'd say on the on the uh, downs potential downsides with a uh, professional trustee is uh, we find that they tend to be more conservative in making decisions on distributions and access to assets, which which can cut both ways. I mean that can be a bad thing, that can be a good thing, uh, but just knowing that that's you know, generally is going to be their default as to where there's a decision to be made. They may they may err on the side of the more conservative decision and they don't have. And again, this 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 can be a good thing and a bad thing, too, but they don't have a history with the beneficiary. You know, if you've got Uncle Joe or Sister Mary as the ben as the trustee for the for the trust, they they have a history they have a, a deeper understanding of the beneficiary and his or her uh issues and and uh life history all that kind of stuff whereas the professional trustee doesn't and so that like i said that can be good and bad they're coming at it from a uh a wholly separate perspective in in making decisions so very good point so this brings up, you know, thinking through part of the benefit of a someone who's close to the family, a family member or a close friend serving as trustee is they know the situation because things do change over the time in our lives, right? Life changes happen all the time. Can you two speak to some of the ways that estate planning 
can protect your wealth if you pass it on to an heir, a child or another, you know, loved one in your family, how you can protect your assets if down the road, your beneficiary, your child goes through a divorce, right? We often think about just, hey, we've passed it on successfully to our child, but they grow up and we know how common divorces, it could certainly happen. So how do you help protect assets in that case? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll start and then uh, have Sarah chime in as well. So the, you know, the, the first thing to do, if it's possible, is have that child get a prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement. Prenuptial agreement is going to be the most protection and uh, is going to provide the most divorce protection and going to be the most um, uh, ironclad type document. So before they get married, they're going to work with soon to be spouse, get this agreement in place that can cover whatever they want. But for our purposes, it can cover uh, gifts from from family members or inheritances from family members and make sure that those assets are not going to be included in a future divorce. Postnuptial agreements, you know, you're getting the, the agreement in place after marriage, a little less protection there, but uh, but still, you know, those documents, both of those documents are going to be really focused on uh, on this issue. And then, of course, that requires the child to be on board, right? I mean, they have to uh, engage in that process voluntarily. You can't force them force them into that. Uh, or you could try, but that you know that might create other family dynamic issues that uh, you may want to avoid. So then the other and the other option where you don't have to have the child's engagement or soon to be spouse's engagement is to do uh, include protections through your estate plan and how you leave assets to that child, either through gifting to a trust for their benefit during their lifetime or uh, leaving them assets uh, at your death in a trust that can build in protections like that, which uh, Sarah, I'll let you kind of dive into the details on on that type of planning. Sure. And so that that's one of the most common things that, that we do, because I have a lot of clients, I know Stefan does as well, that say, you know, I don't have anything against my daughter-in-law, but you know, if something happened to my son, I, you know, really don't want all this money to go to her. How do I protect against that? And so one of the easiest ways in your state planning documents is to put a trust in place for your child. If your child is, you know, a full-fledged adult, financially capable, you can put them in charge of the trust as trustee. Uh, That's certainly an option. So they have some flexibility, but their inheritance is separated in this trust account. Uh, They only draw from it as they need it. uh, And you know, most of the inheritance stays within the trust intact. And that is, you know, generally provides better protection from uh, being seized in a divorce proceeding than if you just left everything outright to that child because the the common worry is you leave everything outright to your child. They put that in a joint bank account or joint asset with their spouse, put their spouse's name on it. And then that's really hard to untie in the event of a divorce because you have to try to trace back that this was an inheritance and it gets very complicated. So one of the easiest things you can do is put the trust in place for that child. Uh, Something that we often do, and Stefan, I apologize if you mentioned this, is sometimes even within those trust provisions, 
We will add when the beneficiary is younger, at least, that if they want to continue receiving distributions, that they have to get a prenup or postnup that protects their inheritance. And so I tell my clients, in some ways, it doesn't make your child the bad guy with their potential spouse. It makes you the bad guy in a way, which isn't fun, uh, but it may alleviate some of that that pressure and make it a little easier to get the kids to carry through with a a prenup agreement because that's already built in the documents and just makes the discussion a little easier because it's never easy to talk about putting a prenup in place or postnup when, you know, you're getting married or shortly after you're married. So we can definitely build all those protections in. And then some of the other added protections of having the inheritance and trust is you know, you are saving children protection from creditors and lawsuits. So if they have other legal issues, there's a higher degree of protection having the inheritance held in trust versus just in their individual name. Yes, I could see the the conversation with your child when they're in love and they're getting ready to get married about needing a prenuptial agreement being a little bit challenging. So This pretty naturally leads to my last question for today, which is, do you have any tips or suggestions on how parents can include their children in conversations about their plan, their estate plan, as well as just money in general? Yeah, that's a common question that we we get. And I think clients ask, you know, how how can I get my kids involved or how involved should my kids be? And that's what I'll use as an example. And, you know, just general education, just, you know, some of this, you know, uh, letting them know you have a plan in place, involving kids when they get a little older. So say they turn 18, introducing them to your attorney and advisors and putting just maybe a basic power of attorney in place. So they get familiar with, you know, dealing with these people. And then when you're dealing with very young children, uh, you know, Heidi, I think we would, uh, you know, look to you to give advice on basic financial education and skills. Absolutely. For, for kids. But I think, you know, educating them as, as early as you can on basic things like opening a small savings account. You know, I know this may sound very outdated. I may be aging myself, but balancing a checkbook, you know, creating a budget, things like that. Those are just really basic things. Having open conversations as a, a family about these things. And it doesn't mean that you have to reveal the contents of your estate planning documents or that you have to tell your kids how much you're worth. But just engaging in these basic discussions is really important and gets especially younger kids in the the right mindset and helps set them up for success as they get older. Uh, I'll let Stefan jump in if you had anything else you wanted to share. Yeah, I think that's that's all exactly what I was uh, would would say. And I'll just um, highlight introducing uh, this is probably for like young adult type kids, introducing them to this world and uh you know uh, estate planning attorney cpa financial advisor those types of professionals and maybe you know the young adult child probably doesn't need uh the services that the that the parents do but they can get the at least get a basic education they can get some basic documents in place or some basic planning in place just so it eases them into that world so it's not uh you know if something happened they're not all of a sudden thrust into this into this world that they have no uh, no familiarity with, no no basis to understand. So uh, just kind of incremental education uh, for folks in that position, I think, can be really helpful. I think that that's a really good tip is encouraging, even if the children don't have assets yet, 
getting even a basic plan in place so they understand what are the moving pieces, what does this process look like, what is the benefit? And I think getting to that early, then as they're faced, unfortunately, with parents passing away later and in all likelihood, a more complex estate than what they have personally, they at least understand the the foundation of what that process looks like and the documents that are that are working. So that's part of the work that we do is not only with clients explaining what the estate planning process looks like, but I often encourage clients to introduce their kids to me to have those conversations about estate planning 101. What are the basics? And I'm always encouraging them to go get their documents and just general information because to your point, their situation is not complex. They don't, they're not in the same situation as their parents with asset sizes. They don't need the same level of services, but getting to that education earlier typically translates to a better experience later. So that's a great, great tip to end our time together. So thanks again, Sarah and Stefan for being with us today. We really appreciate it. And uh, we really appreciate the partnership and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks Heidi. Thanks so much. Evergreen GovCal is a wealth management firm with offices in Bellevue, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and California's Bay Area. We provide investment management, tax compliance, family office, and retirement planning services. Evergreen is accepting applications for new clients who align with our firm's investment and planning approach. If you think you might be a fit with us, follow the link in the show notes to fill out our prospective client compatibility survey.